got like 10 stores in Dubai now. I uh, probably did like 3 million in revenue. Bad. She earned 100k when we were 16 in December, bro. So it's around quarter of a mil. 20k sales and then 30. <laughs> Wild! Yeah, it's, it's bread! <laughs> so everyone, welcome back to the um, Side Hustle podcast. Today we've got a wonderful guest. We've got James Sinclair over here. Um, big entrepreneur, big businessman, and you know, hopefully you're going to drop some big gems for us today. You're going to yeah, tell us all about plan. your business life. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll start it off, James, with, you know, whereabouts are you now in your life? Like, what businesses do you run? And, you know, what is your daily life like at the moment? Um, <clears throat> well, two questions there. So the first one is we're a, we're quite a big family entertainment and leisure business. Um, we own a big chain of day nurseries. We make teddy bears and arts and crafts for kids. We make okay. ice cream. Uh, we own quite a bit of commercial property that we either um, are our own tenants or we rent out to other people um, I love the entrepreneurship space I've got my own YouTube channel I've wrote four books and uh, do podcasts and help people um, yeah we employ about a thousand people do about 30 million in revenue a year uh, as a business um, and you know very ambitious to keep growing and keep doing more amazing amazing so you know with all the stuff that you've got going on at the moment how do you manage your time uh, I have a PO Mm-hmm. Uh, who really manages my diary and my time and tells me where I've got to be. So I don't really manage my own time. Um, in terms of the tasks that I do with that time, I have lots of meetings um, to know where we are on figures and numbers with each of the brands that we run. Um, and then I spend 80% of my time growing the business or doing income generating tasks rather than operating the business. Uh, even to this day, I've never closed up, locked up, any of our businesses or done a staff rota or anything like yeah, that. Um, yeah. but, you know, even from when I was sort of 16, 17, I didn't do any admin tasks and I don't do anything like that now. So I'm, it allows me to think big picture. Yeah, 100%, because you can often get like, tied up in, you know, actually the day-to-day runnings yeah, and all yeah. things like that. So when it started off for you in the beginning, what was your like, first venture? Uh, I was a kid's entertainer, um, so I was a magic man doing kids managers are swapping time for money there or swapping you know good money for the time i was giving and then i built up an agency of family entertainment um, and then done prop hire and events and stuff like that and i just realized it was quite a low barrier to entry business and so then i went into owning our own venues people came to us much more scalable than you know some farm parks like little mini zoos um, and then done day nurseries and done more and more. And I try and buy companies that fold into each other, vertical integration, or I like to call it folding into existing empires. So if we're you know, spending a certain amount with a current supplier, we will look to become our own supplier and start yeah. that business. Why Why is that? Is it because you find that it's, it's obviously, you know, the lucrative avenues anyway, or is it because, you know, do you find that, like going into spaces that you're already working in is much easier than kind of like going into like yeah, a whole I'll new give you area. An example, you know, I think about Rossi ice cream. You know, we we were spending called a million pound a year on ice cream. So as a business, and we bought the Rossi ice cream company. So now we're spending that quarter of a million pounds with one of our own companies. But also we've got good connections and friends within the leisure space uh, that are now buying ice cream because we own it. Yeah. And because of that, we're growing that business in the round. 
Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. It gives you a, if you use that process of what I've been doing, and the same with our teddy bear business. You know, we was buying loads of teddy bears uh, for our businesses and for our attractions. Now we make it. We can go in and say, let's make it ourselves using our volume, but then sell to other people. So we sell to Haven Holiday Parks, Park Dean, Park Resort. You know, and um, <clears throat> we're talking to some of the other big holiday parks and zoos and attractions. We use our volume to start the business. So it's not like a startup that's bootstrapped with no customers when we do something like that. Um, it allows us to have volume from day yeah. one. It's very, very, very interesting. So what was the first type of business that, you know, you did like that? So obviously you was running, you know, business in the first place. What was the first type of business that you did like vertically integrate into? Um, I suppose in the beginning when I had an entertainment company, I would hire in bouncy castles off of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just done it ourselves. Very interesting. I that's like quite it. a low bias for entry, like you said. And that's why I didn't like that business because you know you could start you a bouncy castle yeah. business tomorrow. If you want to start a teddy bear business, you know you need to really buy a million quid's worth yeah. of stock, and yeah, that, exactly. that just stops people, mm-hmm. you know, in their tracks. And and you know, building an ice cream company, you know, I like things like that because you know this whole build. I don't know if they showed you around the building downstairs. You know, all that equipment, all that machinery. You know. You, yeah, one and a half Very million quid. Plus, we bought the building, so three million quid to build a factory. You know that stops people in their tracks. Um, and so I like that. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where did you go from there after the Bounce Castle one? Um, well, so then I realised that that business was, you know, quite low barrier to entry. So then I focused on, you know, thinking bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sold all those businesses or stopped trading those businesses that were low barrier to entry and started just every decision I make every year, I want to be doing stuff that's in other people's mind's eye harder to do. Mm. Yeah, so to like kind of remove the element of competition and stuff. I mean, yeah, give you an example that, that really makes people understand this. And I, I use it quite a lot. If you wanted to open a an Airbnb and start you could just buy a house yeah. mm-hmm. rent all the rooms out yeah well i would think how can i buy a hotel with 100 rooms mm-hmm. and i want to be doing that because that's i think i saw you was actually on about buying a hotel I yeah, yeah well, we are yeah we've you exchanged we've exchanged not that one that's on that youtube video but yeah. another one that we're going to make some great youtube content about yeah and with that we're going to put a rossi ice cream parlor downstairs so within that hotel mm-hmm. we'll be another stream yeah, we'll, we'll be multiple businesses within one and I'll be running all my seminars there and we're going to build a big YouTube studio. So uh, I'll be making all my, it'll be like the studio, if you like, for all of our YouTube content. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, you know, when you was a younger lad and, and whatnot, was you always business minded? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I was the, the kid selling sweets at school. And, yeah. You know, I really started my business at 15 doing kids parties, you know, so. Yeah, so then it was just a kind of a natural evolution from that. Yeah, you know, someone, you know, someone weird like me that's just wired up differently to, you know, I think you you, you come across like pure entrepreneurial people. They're not really doing it for the money. Mm-hmm. We had a conversation about this on the way up. Is it yeah. for the money or is it for the just pure growth and success? Yeah, I think mean, it's because it's to prove a point. I mean, you look at someone like Richard Branson, you know, 74 years old doing space tourism. I, I always sort of reference that, you know, you know, quote unquote, that man from the outside has got a private jet, he's on Caribbean island. You know, he's past the, I've 
you know, not got to look for a pound down the back of the sofa. Yeah, exactly. You know, so he's obviously doing it for reasons that he's just very driven. And, and so am I, you know, I'm just so driven to keep on doing stuff, to keep on being challenged, to keep my mind working. You know, I feel like, if I could summarise it, I feel like my mind works faster than normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. And I've always like kind of looked up to Richard Branson in the sense that, you know, like they teach you about him in school and whatnot. And he's like, you know, he just starts a record company when he's 16. Obviously, it wasn't like as straightforward as it seems. But the way I used to kind of look at it, I was thinking like, you know, Richard Branson, you know, he's done it. Like, why can't I do the similar thing? Why can't I just like, you know, go out there and, you know, do it myself? And, you know, do you have any advice for people, you know, who are, you know, in a similar situation on how they could like start a business and, you know, go out there and do it? Do you have any advice for people who are thinking about doing it? But the, I think there's two questions there. Like someone like Richard Branson that's incredibly driven and high risk taking, and certainly there will be very high stress times mm-hmm. building something of yeah. you know my size, the business that I've built and beyond. Um, and then you have these periods of ease in a business. So you, you know, I think she gets ten million of revenue. You know, sorry, a million of revenue, making two, three hundred thousand a year profit. That's a probably lovely place to be. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to go into this middle size, middle size, where you're two, three million of revenue, probably making the same profits because you're burning cash because you need middle yeah. management. Yeah, that and you're, you know, that can be very difficult. And and I think businesses go through those phases where you know they get to a, a stage of right, everything's lovely, and then we over trade again. Mm-hmm. This is what entrepreneurs do. You know, they're pushing their cash flow, they're pushing their resources, um, they're pushing themselves, they're pushing their team. Um, because they want to get to the next level. And some people get there and go, this is too hard. Um, then they might sell equity and bring in cash to, or they return back to where it was comfortable. Uh, and I sort of try and spend my time now telling people that that's okay if you're, because not everyone has the DNA to have that insane levels of tenacity to keep mm-hmm. going. And that's okay. And be, it's not for everyone. No, 100%. You know, sometimes it's better to build a nice cash flowing, mm-hmm. profitable business and invest the cash into safe stocks and shares or property to build your wealth. Um, you know, I, I think you've probably got 70 good summers and 70 good Christmases. I'm 37, so I've, I've lost half of mine. <laughs> uh, and um, I think it's important that you focus that mind on making sure you're doing the stuff that really yeah. fulfills you. So what is the best way to get into business if you don't have an idea for a business that you can actually run? Well, let me give you some advice on exactly how I got started with it all. So the first thing that I ever did was started a side hustle and I basically resold limited edition items and collectibles like trainers, like this little doll right here that's reselling for £150 plus and it was £66 to buy. So if you're interested in a side hustle, you want to make some money, you want to get into business, then what I recommend is downloading the Crep Chief Notify app. This will notify you about any collectibles or limited edition items that are coming out that you can buy and resell for a profit. You just buy the items, sell them on eBay and Facebook for a profit. It's that simple, guys. And anyway, back to the podcast. So, you know, when, when you was going through that period from, you know, like lovely, comfortable to like growing more, did you ever think about like going back down? No. So you think you just like built that way to just keep going? But now, um, I think I don't just definitely still want to grow my businesses, but I don't want to do stuff as bootstrapped as I did 
in the first 20 years mm-hmm. want to do stuff you know and you usually have to sell something to be able to make that happen yeah so you know when you have started like your first business and whatnot have you sold but obviously i know you just said you sold business in the past but like how how was that like really. I've, I've sold a couple of things you know i've sold i only sell one property in my whole career really but i'm going to sell all my residential properties now because i just don't think residential property investment in the uk is as good as it used to be um i, I much prefer commercial property again higher barrier to entry much mm. more money uh, to be made much more tax efficient to do commercial property especially if it's tied to your own trading businesses than you know buying flats and houses to rent out mm-hmm. and so um, i want to just do bigger stuff that and ultimately it's, it's better you know good businesses you know I, i've done loads of these no money down nick them and yeah. sort them out and that's a lot of energy and and, and oh, i yeah. actually now want to buy better stuff at a good price um, and yeah, and you know, continue to build my commercial pro- property portfolio and build things that my teams, um, you know, I want my team to really benefit from all yeah. the things that our businesses have built and done. And I want to do more of this. I want to do you know some TV work now with business and entrepreneurship. I want to grow my YouTube channel. I want to, you know, I want to do slightly different stuff, but still keep the original business and still grow it. You know, but. I want to do it not so bootstrapped and not push myself as much as I... Yeah, well, that's why you've got a team, I guess. Yeah. You know, I still push myself, but, you know, what I'm trying to say here is, you know, when you're in, you know, you build a business like mine that, you know, I've not got any venture capital, this private equity money, it's all been bank borrowing and from the profits the business has mm-hmm. made, you know, uh, and there's not many people that want to control an ownership of the business. I'm quite rare like that for... You know, I'm not as young as you guys, but I'm still in that sort of millennial category where the whole idea is you sort of get going and then sell a stake to bring mm, in yeah, yeah. private equity cash to really grow. Well, I've used all my own cash and all my personal guarantees. You know, I've personally guaranteed and still personally guarantee millions and millions and millions of pounds. And I'm still very happy to do that, but I, I don't want to and I don't need to, you know, be as... Um, sounding as close to the wind as a, the younger me was yeah mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. very interesting so but you know obviously going back to like the selling of businesses and whatnot you know was was these like you know to mild businesses that like you know really didn't you know, I, sold much. A, um, I sold um a property and a, a, a little theme park that we owned um in the last couple of years and it's very hard to make proper cash out of trading a business mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know anyone that's mega wealthy have sold a business yeah and then gone again. Because yeah. when yeah, you've yeah. got your own cash, the speed, once you've got the knowledge, that is, by the way, they've got knowledge and then they can do speed. Right. Uh, and borrowing money is not impossible, but difficult. Dealing with banks yeah. is difficult. You know, banks, you know, are risk adverse. Um, and, you know, and you want to be using banks really for, you know, I think one of the smartest things entrepreneurs can do is if they've got a trading business that operates out of a commercial property, but like this building that mm-hmm. we're in today, we own the, the commercial property and we've got our trading business inside it's a really smart yeah yeah tax efficient super way of building personal wealth and building a business working in unison but you want the bank to lend you the money for the building and then you use your cash to you know accelerate the growth mm-hmm. of businesses um, and that, that, that's my process it's, it's quite heavy stuff here yeah, you're, yeah, you're like asking it. me some good questions you know, <laughs> i like it i like it so how do, yeah so 
how so you know when it comes to like these things about you know you you, you just said then like one of the best things that you could do is you know buy their own property how did you learn about that kind of stuff? Do you read a lot of books and like all stuff like that? Or are you just genuinely like... Well, I do. I'm, I am an avid reader. I'm an, an avid podcast listener. I'm mm-hmm. an avid... I mean, I, I just... I'm sort of cross that when I started that I didn't know so much about... There wasn't podcasting. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I'm 30, so you guys are 25-ish, aren't you? 21, yeah, 21. 23. 21, 23. So, do you have a uh, favourite podcast? Yeah, the James Sinclair business. <laughs> You've got to check it out. Um, <laughs> No, I don't have a, and, and actually, I, I don't really listen to parts. It's more audible, but okay. so more mm-hmm. yeah. audio books. Yeah. Most be. aren't just audio books rather than yeah. video podcasts. But yeah, I mean, I did listen to some. I mean, my my podcast is, you know, a, a inspiration from a radio show called LBC, mm-hmm. um, which we have down in London, uh, which is like a call in show, and they do politics, mm-hmm. business, you know, everything. Um, and we sort of have business owners come on mind that have got challenges and then I coach them through those challenges. And I enjoy that because I'm having a conversation like we're having with business owners. They're eager to grow and they don't know. And how did I, you know, got my knowledge. Yeah, I did read Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity when I was 16. That was a, you know, really great book. And then I read all the Dragon's Den Lockers that yeah. they all had books out. But that was really the pool of resource. Um, and there was you know, self-development books. But I didn't really notice any of that sort of stuff until yeah. I was 27, 28. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how I, I found out about this whole self-development learning about entrepreneurship, the Wolf of Wall Street film mm-hmm. came out. Yeah. Uh, and that made the guy that Jordan Belfort quite famous and he was doing seminars. I thought, what? Yeah. There's seminars for business owners. I yeah. went along to one of them and, I, and then I discovered this whole world and I read loads of self-development books and that really did help me but I wish I had that when I was 20, yeah. you know, when I was 18, 19. I wish I had the YouTubes, the podcasts. Like yes, if I was your, I information. would just be pumping my brain with mm-hmm. all of that stuff. You know, you know, I had to learn on the job, really. Um, mm-hmm. And how did I do my property deals? I had some great bank managers in the early days. They were old school bank managers that sort of coached me a bit and mm-hmm. helped me and mentored me a bit. They wanted to lend me the money and they sort of told me what I needed to do in my mm-hmm. business to be able to borrow from banks. And I, you know, Dave Oram and Ian Douglas and uh, those two, were, you know, one was from Lloyd's and one was from Barclays, both retired now, but they were, you know, quite strong in helping me in them early days. Yeah, I like That's it. Cool. Very, very interesting. Um, so, you know, going back to that kind of, you know, point about like, books and stuff, have you got any like, top books that you recommend that like any entrepreneur reads yeah again all mine <laughs> uh, and then the ones that are not mine that i've read how to get rich by felix dennis is just fan flipping tastic you know any aspiring established medium entrepreneur should be listening and reading that book and then there's the abridged version of it um which was called 88 narrow road then they changed the name of it which Forgive me, I can't remember that bit now. Anything by Dan Kennedy for marketing, if you're an SME business owner. The guy's about 110 now. Uh, but yeah, Grassroots Marketing for Small Businesses is a flipping fantastic book, which teaches you about marketing, like my book, Getting Customers Does, with as little money as possible mm-hmm. and how to get a return on that. Yeah. Not doing the marketing that Coca-Cola does. You know, yeah. that's a very different stuff. So that's a really good one. Richard Branson is my virginity. Amazing, amazing book. Uh, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog, which is a story about Nike and how that business was built. 
Oh, there's four good recommendations to get you going. Yeah, I, mean, I need to get into reading myself, to be honest. Keep saying a word. Yeah, I think I think listening. To, it's it's oh, really like yeah, the Richard what? Branson book is read by him. Oh, mm. wow. So, you know, yeah. you're getting... What, what I tell people is if you get an Audible account, for six ninety nine, you can have direct consultancy in effect yeah. with a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, he'll tell you, and the Phil Knight Nike one, again, is read by him. Um, that is an amazing, amazing book. Possibly one of the, that's probably the best book I've ever read. Because yeah. it's, it is lots of business stuff, but it's a quite a good life story accounting of, yeah, that man became the fifth richest man in America. Wow. Starting from scratch. I mean, Nike is a, a hugely profitable yeah. powerhouse. It's really what that guy did, you know, and, really didn't have any money for decades. You know, there was a business mm. turning hundreds of millions of dollars and he was just burning the cash on growth. Um, it's, a, it's a great book. You know, his wife, when they, you know, finally floated Nike, she used to walk around with a million dollars in her handbag and she was so scared <laughs> that they were going to lose it all because <laughs> they'd had so many years of immense frugality and just about wow. making it. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're feeling like, you know, you're going that close to the wire where you're oh, like... Oh, yeah, loads. Horrible. What, what do you think? Yeah. That, you know, I know that we've been there at some points, but like, you know, what is it like? Like, you know, what, what, do, you, what, what do you recommend people do in them situations? Well, that's what makes or breaks an entrepreneur. You know, if you've got a cash flow... It's difficult. Someone like me that always wants to grow the business. I'm stretching myself all the time. Um, and I, I've come to the point where I don't want to do that anymore. Um, you know, I don't want, I, so I, yeah. I need to sell something. I'm selling all my residential property. I want to have, you know, you know, I want to be super liquid secure as well as asset secure. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no point, you know, you can, you know, I've got millions and millions of pounds worth of property and assets and uh, businesses that I've, that, you know, are valued quite high, but that's just what it says on paper. Mm -hmm. You yeah, want to have yeah. a point where you Spend build your bank. business up so you've just got some money in the bank account so that you can, you know, sleep at night react <laughs> and do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you know, you go, oh, I've got 30 million pounds worth of businesses and property, but, you know, you can't go and sell that stuff tomorrow. No, no you know, if you want to sell a business, they say the average to do that is 18 months. So you, you want to be mm -hmm. getting yourself mm -hmm. in a position where you, Feel you've got what I call slow pound building assets. They slowly build huge wealth over a period of time, decades. But you want to have some fast pounds that you you can just say, yeah, I've got lots of income coming in. I've got a nice pool of cash for those rainy days emergencies that makes me super secure and then have my assets. Once you've got income, you know, a war chest, let's call it a war mm -hmm. chest, mm -hmm. and then assets that are slow pound building i call them slow pound because they slowly build but because they slowly build they're very hard to take away yeah and hard for you yourself to easily liquidate yeah, yeah. and you want that you don't want to yeah. just oh I'll, I'll, it's a bit tough i'll just sell a property yeah you know you want to make sure that you've got those three things so fast pounds income coming in secondly assets that are slow pound building bricks and mortar safe shares like yeah, disney yeah. and google and then as fast as you can get yourself a war chest. And if you have those three things and you feel, I've got plenty of income, I've got a war chest, and I've got these um, assets that are of my wealth, you'll be able to take on things with utter ease. Yeah, exactly. But also, 
you also, I think, when you're starting an entrepreneurship in your first 10 years, you don't want to have a war chest. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to have them squeaky bum moments so yeah. that you learn how to income generate. Yeah. Because all these people that just know that they, oh, it's a tight period, we can just dip in, mm-hmm. dip in. It's like when people inherit money. Yeah. If they've got no easy to spend it, isn't it? understanding of wealth control, they just burn through that inheritance so quick rather than actually go out yeah. and earn money. Yeah, very interesting. I suppose, you know, in the moments where, you know, it's like, it's, it's almost make or break and you know it's make or break, you know, you do everything in your power to kind of like, you know, generate income. And, yeah, that, and, and, you, and you put it off. 100% if you've got money in the bank, you know, you're going to put it off kind of thing and, you know, might yeah. leave it too late and I suppose, but yeah, I think that's some great, absolutely solid advice to be fair. But yeah. yeah, so going back to, you know, the kind of the property and stuff, you know, I, I know you mentioned that, you know, residential property, you're not, you're not that interested anymore. You don't think it's as powerful as it used to be, you know. Well, let me just explain that. I don't think it's terrible, mm-hmm. but I think once you get to a level, commercial property is so much better. Trading businesses are so much better to put your cash in. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got lots of people that, you know, maybe they've got £50,000 worth of savings. They're going to go and buy a house, they're going to rent it out and make, after all their costs, might make £200 of positive cash flow a mm-hmm. month after paying their taxes. Yeah, You're putting 50 grand to make two and a half grand. If you're entrepreneurial, you would make a lot more money by employing people with that 50,000 that could potentially bring you in hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of revenue and maybe £200,000 worth of profit. But that's a higher risk. The other thing you should be thinking about is as fast as you can get into commercial property or buying another business with that 50,000 that's going to bring in so much more Mm -hmm. cash. But you've got to have the knowledge to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you don't know what to do with your money and you just want to park it somewhere, residential property is still good. But you've got higher stamp duty, you know, there's tax changes, the government are not pro landlords anymore it's just obvious they're never going to come out and say it but if they keep on making the taxes so punitive yeah. for buy to let landlords that's their way of saying we don't really want people doing mm. this yeah so so what's the benefits between like residential property and commercial property like what's the benefits of commercial <sighs> commercial property there's a you know i've had much more capital growth on commercial property much stronger returns of yields do you understand what i mean by so returns yeah. of yield like how much you've put into like how much you make a month kind of yeah, thing that's mm-hmm. right yeah i've always found commercial property better on that uh, much more tax efficient you can put it into a pension um uh, you know there's loads of things and especially if you buy it attached to your trading business you can usually acquire it with very little money Mm, like money up front kind of thing for like a deposit yeah the banks if you've got a very profitable trading business i'll give you an example say you own a fish and chip shop you own the trading business of the fish and chip shop and you're paying 30 grand of rent to the landlord and then the landlord knocks on your door and says i'd like to sell or the freehold of my mm-hmm. the building would you like to buy it you then trundle along to the bank and say look i'm paying 30 grand a year rent um the building's worth 300,000. Um, he said, I can buy it. Um, and then they will send a value around. The valuer might say, well, with you being there and owning the freehold, the trading value of having property and trading business, you might get marriage rights where the trading value is higher than them two separate entities. Wow. So mm-hmm. the fish and chip shop as a trading business might be worth a hundred grand. The, um, 
the uh, property might be worth 300 grand, but put them together, someone might be prepared to value it at half a million pounds. Mm, yeah, Those yeah. are just examples of what, that yeah. we've made this up. Yeah. Um, and then you go to the bank and say, look, it's valued at 500,000. They why? And I've done this many times, give you 300,000 in its entirety and let you pay the deposit over five years. Wow. Okay. So I've done many of those things and they've really seriously helped me grow my property portfolio yeah. using that strategy. Is there anything but they are not going to do that on residential Yeah, no property. way. No, yeah, of course. Is there anything against you just flipping that straight off the bat? Well, um, I wouldn't want to do that. If I, if you can get your hands on commercial property, you want to hold on to it. Yeah, yeah. Because you can then, you know, keep it for five, ten years. You can then re-leverage that and go and buy more and more. Yeah, I suppose. A lot of your businesses are all like actual physical businesses aren't they yeah have you never dabbled in any like software or technology and uh no any reason particular? Just, it doesn't fire me up mm-hmm. yeah you know um i like experience-based businesses and okay. brick and mortary mm-hmm. traditional businesses um that, that that's me um well i want to use technology to help my businesses be as efficient as possible yeah yeah and i I just don't like them unicorn types of this next app is going to change the world. I just, I'm a bit more of I mean, a, That's even more risk, isn't it? Yeah, like, like everyone's going to buy ice cream, you know, that's mm. how I just feel. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. And you go downstairs and you can see the ice cream being made. Yeah. You just, know, you can see it in the flesh kind of thing. There's loads of people that are doing that and they're very passionate about that. I'm passionate about family brands that people love, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I want to carry on doing those sorts of things. You've got to, you know, because when it gets hard... You know, and, and business is tough. You know, people let you down, you know, and, you know, you could lose contract. But if you're passionate about what you do, that gets you through. That gives you resilience to carry on. Mm-hmm. I'm not passionate about building an app yeah. uh, or, you know, the latest technological phase. There's plenty of people out there very passionate about it. I do that you know, and I do this. Yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. So going back to kind of like COVID, what was COVID like during like the bricks and mortar kind of? Well, after I... <laughs> Got over the initial sort of 72 hours, I became very excited because mm. I thought there's going to be opportunities and there was opportunities for us. We, you know, scooped up some things and, um, you know, we, we come out of COVID. We went into COVID with like a £10 million revenue business and I've come out with a £30 million revenue <laughs> business. It did quite well. Uh, but we would have grown to some degree with that. But, you know, we 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 bought a, a children's arts and crafts company during covid and that that was an amazing deal um and they just had enough of running it and covid made them make the decision mm. to get out they contacted me and we folded that into teletastic and teletastic's like quadruple the size it was pre covid and yeah that might not have happened without covid yeah i can imagine yeah. the first 72 hours was probably a bit like and so i think it's more, i think businesses are going to find it harder now Mm-hmm. in this recession which i'm choosing not to participate in but i i you know in one mind i'm excited about a recession the second mind i'm like yeah it's just another challenge to get through yeah, but exactly. i think it's more challenging for business owners recession than covid yeah 100 mm. because obviously yeah. in covid there was a lot of like relief and stuff like yeah, that absolutely but yeah. now you know all that kind of relief is coming back to bite people yeah. you know that money had to come from somewhere i suppose so yeah, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on like the recession and what's upcoming I think it's it's going to be weak but long. So in the 2008-2009 credit crunch, um, that was shorter, but then we had a period of austerity for quite a long time. Um, 
but that was a credit crunch recession, so banks didn't have any money, and that sort of forced the recession to last longer. We're not in that situation. Mm -hmm. Barclays, NatWest, all the UK banks have got more cash than they have ever had. Mm -hmm. They've got super strong balance sheets. Um, But interest rates are making people not want to borrow or borrowing is too expensive. Uh, So, But there's so much. The the, the amount of money in the world never changes. There's always plenty of cash in the world. It's just whether people want to release it from their pockets, mm-hmm. invest or spend. Um, well, I'm excited about it. Are you going to buy anything up in the recession? Yeah, yeah, we've we've got a number of deals at the moment. We're looking at this, are we close to completing on a hotel. We're buying more commercial property. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we'll grow through this year. But we, we, if things don't work, we're very good at stopping doing them. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's a very important lesson for people. If something doesn't work, yeah. you shouldn't be afraid to kind of like go back on yourself and like absolutely. pack it in kind of thing. Yeah, Have you ever been in a situation like that where you've been like heavy into something and you know it's kind of been like not really working, you've been like, you need to stop this? No, yeah, multiple times. Um, and I just get quicker and better at stopping them rather than taking two years. You learn to do it in 18 months, then a year and then six months. You get over the emotional this isn't working. That's also the good thing about having multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just close things off and it hasn't taken you out of the game. But, you know, there's not always, you know, we might have one every three years, a line or yeah. a, a, something that we've done that isn't working. So going back to the kind of like, you know, the runnings of the business and whatnot, what are your thoughts on like keeping everybody in-house, like working for you and the thoughts of like, you know, using agencies, like marketing agencies, whoever it may be. What is your kind of like, we'll first talk about like keeping people in-house and outsourcing and then we'll go into like ad agencies and stuff. Have you watched any of my stuff? Is this a, I have, yeah. a preloaded <laughs> question? Um, well, it's no secret that we don't outsource anything if we can help mm-hmm. it. I mean, we literally do most of our stuff in-house. We make our uniforms, our signage, our software, our <laughs> websites, our phones, you know, our ice cream, <laughs> our bread, you know, our cakes, you know. Uh, yeah, we we literally are, you know, as in-house as we possibly can be. And I think, you know, cutting out middlemen or middle people should be a focus of any growth entrepreneur to bring everything in-house. Why do you think that is? Because not only, obviously, you know, the middleman takes a slice off the top. And, it's you know, not so much that. It's, um, it's it's speed and, you know. So if you look at our printing, you know, we were spending 100 grand a year on large format signage, you know, for our businesses. Yeah. We still probably spend 100 grand a year, but now we get half a million pounds worth of value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, you know, something looking a bit tatty rather than putting that off. Yeah. You know, we can just do it because it's so cheap for us to do because we've got everything in-house. So you just buy all the equipment, machinery? Yeah, yeah. We've got, you know, big machines that do it all, yeah. yeah. And we employ someone to, to run and do all that. So, you know, in situations like that, so let's say, you know, obviously printing something probably isn't the most complicated thing, but in situations like that where you're employing someone, do you find it hard if you don't necessarily know how that works? I didn't know how it worked. So you just employed someone and was like, come on, mate, let's print some signs. And he was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Is is anything like that ever like bitten you? So you got someone in and he's been like... Of course, yeah, but you have to kiss a few frogs to find your prints. Mm. I suppose so. Yeah, I like it. So... But like we do, I've... You know, a lot of people outsource their accounts. Well, I think that's stupid. You want your accounts in-house. You know, we've got a fully qualified accountant work for us. 
and everyone goes, it's all right, you've got like big multi-million pound business. <laughs> well, I was doing that when I was 20. Yeah. I had in-house accounts teams, but yeah, when we was doing hundreds of thousands of revenue per year, and they taught me everything about numbers. Yeah. How so. to understand management accounts, monthly profit and loss, um, you know, you really could put me in a room with a qualified accountant um, and I won't know the absolute minutiae detail of everything, but I'll know most of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling accountants stuff that they should yeah. be doing. Uh, you know, there's this thing called theatre tax relief that, um, you know, I found out about um, and other tax schemes that benefit businesses that, that accountants don't necessarily know about because yeah. you know they've, they've got to know such a broad spectrum and tax is complicated it's changing all the time and i want to know enough to be able to say hang on a sec have you thought about this yeah. and i you know i really you know i've got a big handle on understanding that stuff so you do make sure you you understand everything that's going on before you hire them or just uh, no i want to trust? know i want to be able to ask enough questions to know if i'm being bullshitted to or not yeah mm. yeah, yeah i like that I like that. So, you know, going on to like marketing and stuff like that, you know, have you always had like all your marketing like team and stuff like that in house? Yeah, I had graphic design and web design in house from the age of 22. That was 2008. I mean, that was pretty. Yeah, way back. You know, my first business, websites were around for sure, but they were not the, the absolute, you know, business critical thing that yeah. you know businesses need today um you know facebook had just got going and we were we were heavy on all that stuff mm-hmm. so like so like the- now we have you know for a business our size you know in-house videography uh three designers the web person um an amazon fba pay-per-clicky ebay <laughs> specialist that just does that um, and then someone that oversees them and I just think you know if you're not doing your marketing in-house you're not doing enough mm, 100%. Perhaps, yeah. it's like you know one one way I've, I've always thought about looking at it is kind of like you know you pay someone like four grand a month to like do your marketing you can employ someone full-time yeah to but do that for you all day you know I, I don't want to put marketing companies down sometimes it's good to have them come in and audit what mm-hmm. your in-house team are doing because the person that that has a marketing agency might have a really good brain for marketing yeah. but most marketing companies are not doing the right marketing direct response marketing that i think sme businesses should be doing mm-hmm. you know I, my style of marketing or the marketing that i get that i love is you know, understanding the power of copy, understanding the power of headlines, understanding offers, call to actions, all of that stuff. Um, whereas most people, would they think about marketing now that are clueless, going, you've got to put something on LinkedIn, you've got to put something on YouTube, mm-hmm. you've got to put something on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Whereas that can be just a colossal waste of time. It's about thinking about the right stuff that's going to get, get people's attention. attention. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, mm, very interesting. So, do you run like like paid ads, like Google ads, Facebook ads, stuff like that? Yep, yep. We've you know Amazon, we do paid for ads. Rossi, we do pay. Yeah, yeah. All How does Amazon do for you as Pardon? well? How does Amazon do for you? Um, well, we was doing very well at the beginning of COVID. We got Prime status and all that palaver, mm-hmm. yeah. and then we can get stock oh, because okay. of all the containers. So we turned Amazon off to focus on our wholesale mm-hmm. customers because. You know, I don't want Amazon to be the most important part of our business. Yeah. You know, if there's a list of 10 priorities in our business, I want Amazon to be 
just an, you know an added little bonus i yeah. don't want it to ever be more Is that than, so you want to be like self-sustained yeah i don't want amazon or any income stream to be more than 10 percent of our turnover mm-hmm. no one customer or one income stream should be more than 10 percent of our revenues of any business otherwise it's just mega dangerous and all these people that have got amazon businesses what if they just turn your price exactly, yeah. off? amazon it. says you're blocked and that's it game over so amazon and ebay and etsy we want to grow that but you know our you know holiday parks and zoos and shops all those independents you know they, they are our primary focus but you know we want to be on amazon because you know like them or lump them they're one of the biggest companies in the world um they're, they're usually the first to do things and we like learning what they're up to and yeah. seeing mm-hmm. if we can you know implement some of their things into you know our tickets that we're selling to our zoos farm attractions etc etc um so but so, so anyway to go full round on your question we've employed someone called fraser just to work on b2c amazon ebay all that stuff mm. and we've got stock and supply lines all that's gone back to normal now so we're ready yeah, yeah. to go again in a big way did yeah. they just cut it completely in covid we did okay so in covid we container prices went through the yeah. roof yeah uh you know factories get getting shut down so we pivoted and set up a factory in india uh, i'm off to turkey next week because we set more stuff up in turkey uh and china's gone back to normal but yeah yeah we just didn't expect mm-hmm. to yeah. be able to get stuff and we so rather than destroy all our amazon you know reviews and stuff we just put everything out of stock and so now we're building it up again because we've got a really good supply chain back to normal so on the topic of amazon let me quickly tell you about a business called amazon fba i'll quickly explain this now but basically amazon is a marketplace anybody can sell on amazon to make a profit from selling items just by buying them at cheap and selling them at high and that's the basic principle so what is amazon fba and specifically what is retail and the online arbitrage basically this is a method of going around to stores like bnm home and bargains picking up products like this that are branded high quality products that are on clearance lines and shipping these off to amazon and selling them you're only going to make around three to five pounds profit after all the fees and stuff like that per item you sell but amazon is a numbers game you want to be selling hundreds of items every single month and if you are interested in learning about amazon and you want to find products like this in stores then check out seller circle this is our education and information platform that teaches you all about amazon fba teaches you how to do it and it's one of the great ways to get started with businesses again if you have no idea what kind of business to start yeah, and, and, and the, you know, the issue in COVID was it the fact that the container like pricing of like shipment went up so much that you wasn't able to like make a yeah. profit? Partly that, and partly we the factories couldn't keep up mm-hmm. with the volume because our other, you know, our tourism customers in the UK, the holiday parts, they were literally clearing us out. They went from zero to hero, more margin, more, you know, they're better customers and we wanted to look after them. We knew them and, you know, yeah. But I would think we'll end up doing a million quid a year on Amazon. That's what I think. Yeah, especially with toys and stuff. Yeah. Toys do really well on Amazon, yeah, especially yeah, like yeah. run up to Christmas and whatnot. Literally incredible stuff. And you got, are they all your toys out there? Yeah, they're our showroom. Yeah, all of that stuff we make that's solely ours. Is that all made in here? Not made oh, not here, here, but, but made in our in factories. House. It's our brand. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, we were doing well. well like, we was getting to like 35 grand a month on Amazon without really... Yeah put masses of effort mm-hmm. into it so we we know we can get back to that and we were 
just teetering on eBay and we know we can do Etsy and not on the high street because we can do personalized yeah. stuff, which does really well on there. So yeah, we know we can build that part of our business up. Mm. It's no brainer. So going back to like, kind of like, you know, employees and employing people, when I imagine you don't probably do you employ people still to this day, like were you sitting on interviews and stuff? Or yeah, yeah, I've done an interview today for a PR person. Mm-hmm. Uh, my interviews are more of a chat, see if we can work together with someone. Yeah, uh, but probably six a year, but they'll be high level people. Yeah, um, you know, most interviews that I know they're presenting to us what they can do for the business. Yeah. So, you know, obviously when it comes to employing people, I think it's one of the most important factors in like any business employing the right people and stuff like that. You know, have you got any like, you know, tips and like, you know, things to look out for when employing people? Yeah. Be wary of choppy CVs. Mm-hmm. So this is where people worked here for six months, there for seven months and they like sing a tune in an interview thinking, mm. wow, they're great. But if they've been here, there and everywhere, yeah. if they slag off their previous employer, <laughs> that that's a big no-no for me. Um and then for entrepreneurs, usually want to recruit people that they feel they're aligned with. Mm-hmm. And I use this four interview process. So group interview where you present to the order candidates what you want to achieve in your business, what's the vision, um, what you expect out of this candidate. Um, interview number two is a one-to-one interview with you where you would do uh, you know, the, an interview that everyone quote-unquote thinks traditional interview number three is someone else is interviewing them but you're sitting in and listening Mm -hmm. and at this stage i've changed my mind on those people that i was so sure of when Mm -hmm. i'd done the one-to-one interview but now someone else is asking the questions that could be your accountant or another trusted business owner and then you buddy up and do it for them Um, and then interview four is a presentation to you about how they're going to deliver on your vision within your business yeah, yeah I nice. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I feel that's really important information because you know I've had you know issues in the past with employing people, and I think I've just not like you know I suppose there's like there's a method to the madness, really. You know, there's a method to like doing it all, and I think there's some yeah. really quality information. You know, going from there, you know, and employing people and whatnot. You know, what what do you actually look for in someone? <sighs> Attitude over skill set. Um, someone that's got the right attitude and a can-do approach can usually be upskilled. And the danger is always bringing, and even now we've recruited someone that has all the right skills and I'm just hoping that their attitude merges in with our culture. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, one of my big things, if you can't change the people, you must change the people. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you've got a really lovely culture and you bring in someone that, it's just a bad apple. That it really, would. Oh, it's awful. Um, if you're not training your people, then you're not gaining from them. And training and educating them has to be on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, that's whether you spend time with them. You know, if the apples spend 45 minutes every day training their shop staff, that's it. just mind blowing. And that's why, you know, no one makes more money per square foot on retail than them in the world. Yeah. yeah. And I think that training, that depth of training is a big well, it's part. It's just every of morning, 45 minutes. I don't know when they're, de- yeah, but I'm sure it's morning, it's evening, but yeah. they're, they're, they're training their team so good. They're making them so I mean, you profitable. You walk into an Apple store, it's just different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No one. No one you just walk into, I mean, yeah. that's like, <laughs> go into Next, go into <laughs> Clinton's Cards, yeah. you know, go into Audi, go into Apple, and you're like, 
there is a difference yeah. with the stuff. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. it is monumentally different. Um, and so, yeah, you got you got to keep training them. I mean, I'm so passionate. I've wrote just this the latest book we just wrote, the Dream Team, which is just going through the final edit. is all about how to recruit for mm-hmm. entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs like make some banging hires usually like the best game changing people and then they make awful ones yeah <laughs> you know um yeah, you know usually they you know like used to you know you've probably got friends you're quite aligned on culture and then you, you, yeah. you, you luck has put you together and you're both driven and hard working and then then you make a few bad hires and it makes you give up but you've got to put in processes to make sure you're making the right decisions and that's yeah, why sure. i think that four-step interview is good for entrepreneurs mm. yeah literally it's absolutely key and i think you know i've been in that situation i made bad hats and i've been like what was i ever thinking mm. but like you know some great points there but you know on from that you know what are kind of like your goals for the future in terms of you know like growing business and stuff like that you know i mean i know you mentioned the hotel maybe talk a little bit about that what's the plans there well you know, I'm a man that loves real estate and property, um, but I want to own property that's surrounded by a trading business. That's what I really believe in. Um, so we've got some more hospitality and leisure businesses we've got our eyes on. Um, I'd like to own more hotels, especially when we can put a, a Rossi parlor downstairs that's the restaurant for the hotel yeah. that helps grow the Rossi brand. We, we want to turn Rossi into a much bigger business. We're very excited about that as well. And, you know, I've invested millions of pounds into it, so it needs to grow. You it's know? just in the UK currently, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm not Are you actually bothered about going outside of the UK unless like a draw dropping a good opportunity comes along I'm yeah you know I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs want to go international and I'm yeah, like yeah. well why if you live in the UK you've got 70 million people enough, seventh it? biggest economy <laughs> or sixth biggest economy in the world uh, so many opportunities here in the UK and you've got to make sure you've exhausted mm-hmm. your home turf yeah um, and, it's, and it's we have not way, exhausted our home turf yeah unless it's bl- really easy to do you know like yeah we write a book or I write a book, yeah, I can sell that in yeah. Australia just as easy as I can in UK. But, you know, Teletastic, yeah, we could send containers to Australia and America and start selling there, but why? We haven't exhausted the UK market yeah. that's on our doorstep, and I, I just want to do that stuff first. Yeah. Have you ever, like, traded? But Obviously, I know you've done, like, books and stuff, but other than that box, something that you would actually consider, like, you know, something that, you know, you consider, like... Phew, you know, kind of like a bricks and mortar kind of business selling like teddies or whatever. Have you ever done anything like that outside the UK? Sorry, I don't understand. So like... Oh, I sold the physical sell, product. Yeah, other than like books, have you ever like tr- like done anything outside of the UK? Yeah, we sold some teddy bears and stuff to New York and Ireland and but they would be from the UK sent across. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I just think there's still abundance of opportunities yeah it's a good point in this in this country 100 and i think it's probably i think it's probably logical to say that it's probably easier to grow your business in the uk where everybody is than you know to like start taking to other countries where there's you know like language barriers there's obviously logistic issues all stuff like that so it's a no-brainer really anyone that watches i don't say that the world is getting a smaller place all the time and if it's easy and it's a Mm no-brainer then absolutely sell to spain to america but if it's hard and it sounds complicated, make sure that there is a massive, easy reward for that. And is your time and effort better spent on your home turf growing your revenues in the UK? 
or if you're in America, in America, or if yeah. you're in Spain, in Spain. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Another thing I wanted to touch on was like mindset. Um, obviously, very motivated, dedicated, and just nonstop. Do you have any, do you like meditate? Do you do any kind of, I know you mentioned your PT later. Yeah. I don't meditate. Yeah. But I do do quality thinking. I, mm-hmm. I definitely think I'm a good thinker. Uh, and I like thinking on my own with no noise and no people around me. Yeah. You know, if the kids leave the house in the morning and the missus has left and I'm the only one in the house, I massively value that half hour on my own and I would think I am I've always got a notebook and I write down challenges and use notebooks and I've always have done they're just doodle book I mean then there's nothing this is not a diary yeah it's just for me to you know just note stuff down yeah and then the other thing that I've started doing this year and we're on day 12 and I've kept it going is I'm journaling every night or every morning about how productive I felt I was today, mm-hmm. how good my relationship is, how good I'm being as a dad, um, what challenges have I got and what am I doing about them to make sure that they don't repeat um, things that I don't think I've done well at or things that I think I've done really well at, how my health is. Um, I should start putting food in there, actually. That's a good one. I just thought yeah, about that. Yeah, I think that. so. Um, and, um, you, you know, I... I work in a place that makes ice cream and cakes and stuff, <laughs> and I like all those things. You've got um, to test your product, right? Yeah, well, I've really I've got a sweet tooth, and I'm taking health more and more seriously. And yeah. I'm actually really, you know, Chuds who's makes all my videos. Remember, you know, he's been with me for sort of five-ish years now, and, and I don't really like exercise, but I'm actually really getting into it now, which is so I'm so flipping happy about because mm. I don't really, you know. I, I knew I had to do it, but I, I'm actually looking forward to doing it. And I'm starting to see results. I'm starting to feel stronger and fitter. Yeah. Uh, and I want to be eating better. You I know? think that makes up like 30% of just your productivity in the day, yeah. just being healthy. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I watched and, a podcast not too long ago, a guy called Rob Derdek, and he basically journaled his life for like 10 years. Um, every single day, he'd write down what he's been up to that day, uh, what he's drank, what he's eaten, yeah. what time he woke up, what he did the day before. And he just said progressively over the 10 years, he just got better and better. Like his bank account went up, like his business got better. Everything just kind of flowed because he could kind of like track it statistically. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Well, I've always done it big picture. So next to my Mac, I have a gold photo frame of the 40 things that I want to do in the year. And I've always done that. And mm-hmm. I read through them and I don't get them all done in a year, but I usually get them done within three years. You know, one of them's on there is have a liquidity day. In entrepreneurship speak, a liquidity day is sell something and get a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and I looked on there and I was like, it says that. And I, I'm very close to getting one of those things happening. Um, it's about property I want to buy. Top one is eat healthier, get fitter. You know, one of those things. And they're my 40 top things. But, you know, you have them win days in entrepreneurship you get a big contract over the line or mm-hmm. you buy a business or you sell something you know or you buy a company or you buy a property and I do lots of that stuff but actually the little things I think are really important yeah. like yeah I've done a PT session today you know if I did that five times a week which is what I am aiming to do you know after a year I am absolutely this is one person shouting at me and making me do things you know I because I'm writing it down I don't want to write down that I procrastinated on that. Mm. Yeah. 
or that I didn't feel I achieved very well today. It's good, and that's let's see if it works. It's a data yeah. page diary, like one of them old school things that yeah, yeah. Um, hairdressers used to use. Seven ninety nine <laughs> on Amazon, gang, um, <laughs> and a big biro. You were away. Exactly. Yeah, I like it. I've no, I've, trust, I've not really heard much of like journaling. I've shown what journaling is. Well, I think, but, just say, I think people should do what I've done, the day to a page diary. Yeah, I do. Because if you keep that consistent and then you go back in 10 years' time, because when you journal, you're, I mean, I sometimes write the day on this, but you forget, don't you? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you, you I felt like, all right about that. Oh, what, what, when was yeah. that? You know, and when it's a proper diary, you can actually look Another at it. Another thing, I think Tom does it in our office, he puts the weather. Don't know yeah. if that makes a difference or not, but he just puts if it's raining, if it's sunny, or whatever, and yeah. see how he's feeling as well. But mad. Yeah. it's another mad one. That's actually crazy. But for, yeah, I can imagine reading back on that in the future and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. When I go through that. my notebooks sometimes that I've had, and I'm like, oh yeah, I can, but I can't pinpoint the time. So that's why I'm doing it with the day to a page. But I keep I like saying it. it. I've said it on the podcast, on my podcast, three times in a row. I'm saying it on yours because that. I'm sort of forcing myself to make sure yeah. I carry it on yeah, yeah. by saying it all the time. I don't want to be in May and someone says, are you not doing that anymore? <laughs> Easily done. But yeah. yeah. Blitz stuff, I suppose. But yeah, incredibly insightful, mate. I'll be honest. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Well, I appreciate um, you coming to see me, guys. Yeah, it's been an absolute been pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on, mate. Absolute pleasure. Very insightful. 